Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of worship. Special welcome to any of you who may be visiting with us, and if you are visiting, this is your first time, first time, maybe in a long time, would you be kind enough to raise your hand? Pastor Kevin has a packet of information about the church he'd like to give to you, and there's a little card we'd like for you to fill out, put in the offering plate later on, so just make sure you raise your hand, keep it up long enough, and let him find you, and he'll get that information to you. Also, if your row hasn't passed the friendship pad yet, if you would pass it down the row and then back again and note the names of the people that are there. Uh, It's a great thing to be able to greet each other by name and to learn names and to uh, express our love in the greeting as well. A couple of announcements about Alden Bible Camp that I'd like to stress. Alden Bible Camp coming up toward the end of the month, June 23rd through the 27th. There's an insert in the bulletin today about donations. So you can help us with the cost of Alden Bible Camp if you can donate some of those items. Also, there is a note about pre-registering. You can help us out by pre-registering across from the library or online, and the instructions are given in the bulletin how to do that. It's a big help for us as we order materials, and also the class sizes may have to be limited, so we encourage you to quickly pre-register, if you will. Tonight, our electives continue. You can read the choices in the bulletin. It's actually the last night of the electives. And our summer schedule of services is approaching. So please take note of this for all of the Sundays in July and August. We'll be having one combined worship service at 9 a.m. and then Bible school at 10.30 a.m. And also this note that's in the bulletin, we will also be having the evening service on June 29th in Providence Park. And we've noted there, please bring your own chair and bring some bug spray, not for the preacher, but for the insects. So if you would, if you would look forward to that with us as a means of uh, reaching out into our community and, and being a public witness there as well. There is a note in the bulletin today that one of our missionary families, the Sandals, needs some temporary hospitality We have such a great church family that as soon as I made that announcement this morning, it was taken care of. So that's already taken care of. You can disregard that in the bulletin. Uh, Most important announcement uh, that I'd like to make this morning, I believe, is that our picnic is coming up, the community picnic, this Saturday from 11 a.m. until 3 p.m. And we're asking everyone to pray, to come, and to serve at the picnic if you're able to do that. A great opportunity is we'll have hundreds of people from the community there. And maybe you're thinking, I don't really like picnics. Um, I, don't, I don't like hot weather, and it's probably going to be hot. But that's not really the point. The point isn't to come out if you like picnics or if you are able to handle the heat. The point is to come out and love the community. And you may be the very person that God uses in order to express the greeting that draws somebody somewhere closer to the Lord or closer to the church. So we encourage all of you to think about participating in that, not simply knowing about it, but participating as well. The order of service today in the bulletin at the top of the page is a verse from Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. One of the verses we'll be looking at this morning. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Let's meditate for a moment now in silent worship and prayer, thinking about the amazing Lord Jesus, perhaps in a new way to realize who Jesus was and continues to be. But what an amazing demonstration we're going to see in the scriptures this morning of what the Lord Jesus did 
and what the Lord Jesus is capable of doing. So let's take a moment now in silent prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that you would do a very special thing in our midst today, that you would open the eyes and ears of our understanding so that we don't take for granted the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Help us to think new and afresh the amazingness of Jesus when he was here on this planet and the amazingness that continues. And may each one of us offer to him the worship that he's due we thank you for the blessing of knowing your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Praise God from that for a moment if we remain standing and try, this may not be possible, but try to find somebody you've never greeted before and greet that individual as well as anybody else along the way right now.
may be seated, but please keep out your hymnals and turn with me to the back to reading 652. This is entitled Comfort. Again, that's 652, Comfort. And I would, I'm going to read the light print, and I'd ask that we'd all respond by reading the bold print together. I'll begin. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. to believe 
Go before the Lord together in prayer. Father, as we come before your throne this morning, we echo the words of King David. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Lord, you are the creator and sustainer of all that is. We give you thanks that we even could rise from our beds and our right minds to come to worship you this day. And Father, our desire is to worship you rightly. And yet we are guilty of pride and unbelief, a failure to find your mind in your word, of neglect to seek you in our daily lives. But we are thankful that these violations, these shortcomings, shall not stand, for we lay them all on Christ, our sacrifice and advocate. Lord, we praise and thank you for your wisdom and love, for sometimes putting us into the furnace to refine our gold. Deliver us from every evil habit, everything that dims the brightness of your grace in us. Father, your word teaches us to ask in faith with no doubting. So we come today with prayers for our body, confident that if we pray according to your will as revealed in Holy Scripture, you will answer us for your glory and for our good. We pray that you would keep Alden free from apostasy and keep us rooted in sound doctrine. We ask you at the same time, Father, to keep us as Keep us united as one body and to follow your son's teachings when quarrels and disagreements may arise. We, would, we pray that we would remember our charge to be sought in light to a lost world. Your son, our risen Lord, has outlined that strategy from now to the end of the age with one simple command, go and make disciples. May the gospel go forth with power and clarity into all nations. And so we offer prayers of protection and encouragement for all of our missionary family. We think especially of Carlos and Marion Odisio. Bless the work that they do with BCM here in Pennsylvania. And Father, as we view a society that increasingly leans on philosophies and worldviews that do not honor you, we pray for our college students, represented this morning by by Lauren Holmes and Becca Hughes as, uh, as they represent both graduate school and undergraduate schools, uh, we pray that uh, you would help them and, and all of our students to, to find accountability and encouragement for fellow believers when they return to their campuses in the fall. 
we pray that they would listen to the words of the apostle, of the apostle that they may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Fathers, we look back just this week to the sacrifice of so many on the beaches of Normandy to maintain our freedom. Lord God, we thank you for the service and the sacrifice of our military personnel. We thank you for Ed Linville and his safe arrival in Afghanistan. We pray your protection on him. And may all of our military men and women and, and their families be strong and take courage as they put their hope in you. Father, you and you alone have appointed leaders for this church. We ask that you would provide godly wisdom and discernment for our pastors, our elders, our trustees. We lift up Tom Schaiko and, and pray that he would continue to trust the power of God rather than human wisdom, and that he would do your work without growing weary or faint. Now, Father God, we know that all we have received is from your hand. And you call us to be stewards of your abundance, caretakers of all that you've entrusted to us. Help us to always use your gifts wisely. Teach us to share them generously. And that these offerings may have both the nature and the value of worship. Our prayers, our hymns, our songs, our hearing of your word, even our silence and meditation are parts of our worship. And now we praise you also with our gifts. May we give back to you sacrificially, generously. And may our faithful stewardship bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. We pray with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.
please take out your hymnals and let's sing together by opening up to hymn number four. Hymn number four, and we're going to sing How Great Thou Art. Let's all stand and let's sing together.
may be seated. How many of you remember Michael Taylor? Welcome, Michael. Uh, he's going to be staying with us for a few months in the apartment. Uh, Lelanie's here, and Rachel's now three years old, if you remember from before. Uh, serving the Lord, visiting missionaries with us now, serving the Lord in Saudi Arabia. We're delighted to have him. He's our resident Muslim expert when he's here with us, and we're delighted to have Michael with us. Uh, please be in prayer for Ruth Doherty, uh, and also mainly right now for the folks who are left behind in Afghanistan. Very suddenly she had to leave Afghanistan. She's in Colorado right now. The um, problem is that there have been threats that were made, and you understand if you read anything about what's going on in Afghanistan, there are bombings and all sorts of things. And her mission has been threatened specifically, and they felt it wise to remove the missionaries from the country for a time. We're not sure how long that will be, but pray especially for those that she was working with, uh, particularly those who are physically challenged uh, because they don't have that support and that encouragement right now. And pray that the Lord would raise up others to step up and fill those voids, and it, it's always with God's doing a healthy thing. So we'll pray that he receive glory through that. So let's look to the Lord before we look to the Word right now in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of acknowledging the fact that you're the great God that we've been singing about, how great you are. And we're going to see the amazing Lord Jesus in these verses and we're going to marvel at what it is that you accomplished when he was here on this earth. And thank you that it's the same Lord Jesus. Thank you it's the same power, it's the same love, it's the same compassion. And I pray that perhaps you would open up the eyes of our understanding in a way that we've never done before. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 4. As we're looking through the Gospel of Matthew together, Looking at only a few verses again today, that would be Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. As you can see, Jesus' ministry is now intensifying. After those 30 almost silent years, now things are really stepping up. When it says in the first verse that we read, verse 23, he went throughout Galilee, the verb there for went through, going forth, it's repeated action, continuous action. And we will see there are cycles of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. This may be one of three large ministries that he had in Galilee. But understand, this is going to be going on continuously. There were three things that he was doing, three things that he was known for during that particular time. And one of them was that he was teaching in their synagogues. There would refer to the Jews, obviously. 
almost exclusively Jews. There would be some God-fearing Gentiles who would occasionally be a part of that, but this is largely to the Jewish population. He was deliberately targeting them, but also at the same time, he was going into areas where there were a lot of Gentiles, but the teaching ministry in the synagogues was largely to the Jews. The synagogues probably were established sometime during the Babylonian exile, and then they grew during the intertestamental period, the 400 years before Jesus came. The synagogues were now a very, very big thing in Palestine. One of the things that I think that sometimes we lose sight of is exactly how significant the synagogues were at that particular time. Here's a picture of one that would have been uh, probably about that time in Nazareth. Not the temple. This is a synagogue, and sometimes they were more primitive than this. It was a gathering place of individuals. Let me read one description that I think is very informative. By New Testament times, the synagogue had become the most important institution in Jewish life. Although the temple remained by far the holiest shrine of Judaism, many Jews lived many miles from Jerusalem and could never expect to visit there. But synagogues could be established anywhere in Israel or beyond, and around them virtually all Jewish religious and social life centered. The synagogue not only was the primary place of worship, but also of study, of community fellowship, even of legal activity. Often visiting dignitaries or rabbis would be given the honor of expounding the Scripture a practice of which both Jesus and Paul took advantage on numerous occasions. At that time, for a synagogue to spring up, they needed ten learned men, or ten people who were supposed to be wise in the Scriptures. And then with those ten, they could establish a synagogue. These synagogues were there in Jerusalem. They were in Syria, Asia Minor, Greece, other places. Larger towns had several synagogues, and uh, you might find this hard to believe, but Jerusalem had just about 500 synagogues in the city, in addition to the temple that was there. So that was a significant ministry among the Jews now, the synagogues, and that ministry was very, very important. So one of the things Jesus was doing, he was teaching in their synagogues, but that's not all. It tells us that he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. The word for preaching is the Greek word caruso. It means to herald or to cry out. He wasn't heralding or crying out so much in the synagogues, but he was along the shores and in the areas where the crowds would gather, and he would be shouting out or heralding the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. This, incidentally, is the first time the word gospel is used in the New Testament. I know we're only in Matthew chapter 4, but the first time the word gospel is used here. And it's the gospel of the kingdom, the long-awaited Messiah. The king himself was being heralded, and the Lord Jesus was doing that himself. John the Baptist had been doing it, and now Jesus has taken that up. He preached this kingdom from the time of his baptism until the time of his ascension. And that's something that the Lord Jesus himself was telling them. The rule of God in your hearts can be here right now because the King Himself is here. The Messiah is here. And the Lord Jesus would explain that message and oftentimes it would fall on deaf ears. And of course, the Lord Jesus 
was not able to establish his kingdom because of the unbelief and because of the rejection of the people at that time. But that kingdom will be established one day, and there will be belief. And we're told that that will happen at the end times. But preaching the kingdom from his baptism all the way to his ascension. You can see the reference on the screen and on your outlines in Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Here's what those verses say. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension, he was still telling them about the kingdom telling them how important it was to get to know the king. But that's not all he was doing. He was teaching in those synagogues. He was preaching the good news or heralding that all around. But he was also healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, of those three actions, Matthew expands on Jesus' healing ministry right here. And so that's what we will do. I'm going to try to list several observations of the healing ministry itself. The first of them is this. It tells us here in the text, Jesus healed every disease and sickness among the people. That's unique. The amazing Lord Jesus. If you stop and think about that for a moment, sometimes we think about Jesus doing an occasional miracle. He didn't do an occasional miracle. He healed, it says, every disease and sickness among the people. Some of the theologians, scholars will say, well, you could go one of two ways, and that that means that he healed every disease that was there, or he healed every person who came with any disease. And I believe both of those are true, and I think we'll see that it'll be borne out in the next point that we'll be making. But if you'll do this with me, if you'll stop for a minute And use your imagination, not because this is imaginary, but use your imagination to take you back into that time. And understand and picture with me exactly what that means. Jesus healed every disease and sickness among the people. What exactly would that mean from our perspective going back to that time? The first thing that it means in my mind as I was thinking through this is there was no such thing as the word incurable back then with Jesus' ministry. Nobody ever heard him say that. Nobody ever heard, this is incurable. No one ever heard, inoperable. That didn't exist at the time Jesus was healing every disease and every sickness. There were no words like, I'm sorry, I've done everything I can do. Or there's nothing else that we can do for you. There was no need for morphine to ease anyone's pain because the Lord Jesus took care of all of that. No anesthesia was necessary. You'll like this one, I'm sure. There was no referral to a specialist. No primary doctor needed to approve. You'll like this one, too. There was no copay for what Jesus did. And no one ever said anything for or against Obamacare at that particular time. It wasn't necessary. You didn't need any insurance. You just needed the Lord Jesus to be there, and that's what he was. He was there all the time. There were no secondary infections left over when Jesus was finished with a patient. There were no x-rays 
no MRIs, no diagnostic challenges. In fact, there wasn't even the need for a diagnosis. Jesus didn't have to figure out what was wrong with anybody because Jesus already knew and Jesus was prepared to cure whatever the problem was. There were no disappointed expectations among any of the sick people who would come to Jesus. None of them ever wished for more when they went away. None of them ever had a partial healing. There were no lists for, trans, for transplants at that particular time. There were no malpractice attorneys ever summoned because there was no hint of anything that would ever go wrong when Jesus would heal. You have to really use your imagination, but I can picture this in my mind, that there would be a lot of physical therapists visiting, nurse, visiting nurses and physicians in the unemployment lines at that particular time. Because when Jesus healed, it was instant. It was complete. There was rehabilitation all at the same time. Can you picture the amazing Lord Jesus going from place to place in this continuing ministry that was going on? you look on the screen, here's something else that would have been there at that time. A lot of unused medical equipment, obsolete, no longer necessary, piles of things that would aid people to get around. And I like this one. No one was saying this may pinch a little bit because it didn't even pinch a little bit. It was a cure from the Lord Jesus. When we're looking at that verse, when we're looking at verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease, it says, every sickness. The word for disease means severe, dangerous, even violent. It has the idea to do with uh, chronic or something that was very, very serious. The word for sickness, you can come down just a little bit. It's a word that means a little bit softer less severe or occasional. But the point is this, everything was covered, major and minor as well. Everything was taken care of by the Lord Jesus. There was no illness or infirmity that could hide, no symptoms could mask their cause because Jesus was on top of it all. Now keep that in mind. I want to share with you a quote that B.B. Warfield, one of the, uh, the, the great Reformed theologians, has said, now, this is not inspired scripture, what I'm about to read. And you may say he's overstated this a little bit, perhaps. But think about it, even if it's overstated, if it's close at all, sometimes we don't think about Jesus' ministry in this way. Here's what he said. When our Lord came down to earth, he drew heaven with him. The signs which accompanied his ministry were but the trailing clouds of glory which he brought from heaven, which is his home. The number of the miracles which he wrought may easily be underrated. It has been said that in effect, he banished disease and death from Palestine for the three years of his ministry. Did you ever think about it that way? If he's actually going around healing every disease and sickness among the people that he banished sickness and death from Palestine for the years of his ministry. And again, if it's even close to that, perhaps our thinking is never caught up with that. But that's not all that was going on. It tells us Jesus healed all who were ill with various diseases. He didn't just heal every disease. He healed everybody who was diseased. And that again, what a remarkable ministry of the Lord Jesus, the amazing Lord Jesus. 
This tells us he healed all. People had physical infirmities. They had spiritual ones as well. And to the extreme, people in severe pain, people who were demon-possessed, people who were having seizures, it tells us in the text, the paralyzed as well. Verse 25 tells us that there were large crowds that were following Jesus, and I'm sure they were growing by the day, bringing their sick relatives and friends along with them. This was not a limited sample of people who were getting healed, and they weren't actors and actresses who were part of a show. Sometimes you'll see the faith healing rallies and crusades that go on today, and there is documented evidence that you will find that with some of them in Des Moines, Iowa, somebody gets cured on a night and comes forward and throws away his crutches, but then two weeks later that same person gets healed in Chicago, and then two weeks later that same person gets healed in San Francisco. This is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the real thing that is going on. It was mindful of the healing that went on in the early part of the church age. We did an elective last Sunday night on the temporary sign gifts, temporary sign gifts given to the apostles to lend credibility to their witness so the apostles could look a whole lot like the Lord Jesus in their healing ministry during the early days of the church. But that didn't stay around for very long. And we'll see that. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, we'll start with. There must be more electronic devices here today. I don't hear as many pages turning. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. We talk about the amazing Lord Jesus, and then we talk about the amazing gifted individuals that were given to the church early on. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. The healings that Jesus did and the spiritual gift of healing the apostles did was very different than what goes on today under the name of faith healing. At that time, every disease was being healed. All who were ill with various diseases were being healed, and Surprisingly, no one was getting rich because of the healing. Nobody was making any money on it at all. But please remember, that changed. That changed very quickly. The last recorded miracle in the New Testament took place in Acts chapter 28 when the Apostle Paul was used of God to heal Publius's father on the island there. That was in A.D. 58. Keep that number in your mind for just a second. That was A.D. 58. There's no other evidence of miraculous signs from that date to A.D. 95 or 96 when John completed the book of the Revelation because those gifts, the temporary sign gifts, stopped at that particular time or were ceasing. So from the point in time in Acts chapter 5 that we just read a moment ago 
when people carried the sick into the streets and Peter's shadow falling on them and touching a handkerchief, an apostle brought healing. People from the cities were flocking to the apostles. All were being healed. From that particular time until the apostolic period drew to a close, we find healings conspicuously not occurring. And I say conspicuously. I want to mention four individuals, and we did this at the elective last Sunday night, but there were four individuals at least that we can see who really could have used a healing, and yet they didn't. And why not? Well, because that wasn't going on. The MO, the modus operandi, had changed by that particular point. Four individuals. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh, didn't he? And three times he prayed that it would be removed. And it's very clear from the context that that thorn was a physical infirmity. It was something wrong with him physically. He prayed that it would be removed. Was it? Was it removed? It was not. He prayed for it, though, three times. Why didn't he just go and get in Peter's shadow? Why didn't one of the apostles cure that for him? Why wasn't he healed? It wasn't the Lord's will. God's grace was sufficient for him. Do you remember when Timothy was told to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake? It was as if he was told by the Apostle Paul, you need some medicine, your stomach is not good, so uh, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Why didn't he just heal his stomach? Why didn't he just say the word, or why didn't he point him to one of the other apostles who, who had the gift of healing at that particular time? How did they let Epaphroditus become ill and almost die, as it's recorded in Philippians? It says, but God had mercy on him. How did they let him almost die? Why didn't somebody cure him at the very beginning? Or in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, and we're well along now in the time of that first century, it says, Erastus stayed at Corinth, and the Apostle Paul says, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Why did he do that? Why would he leave his friend and buddy sick if he had the power to cure him? For the same kind of healings that Jesus did and the apostles at the beginning of the church age did to be duplicated today would astound the world, as they did partly at that particular time. Let me give you just one example. What if someone, just one time, decided to empty children's hospital of all its little patients and sent them home, healed, rehabilitated, and healthy? What if it happened just one time? Can you picture if these individuals that are on the, on the screen behind me right now, can you picture those little ones? If they were there at the time of Jesus, what would have happened to them? Instantly, they would have been healed. They would have been rehabilitated. If somebody shows me that and goes and empties children's hospital, then I will say, yes, what was happening then is happening again. But we don't see that. We see under very controlled circumstances that somebody tries to have a healing, and we also see some documented reports that things are not on the up and up in those situations. Now, I want to be sure not to leave a wrong impression here. Please don't hear me saying that God doesn't heal anymore. I'm not saying that. God can heal anytime he wants to, and God can choose not to heal anytime he wants to. It's up to him. That's his prerogative. He's in control. He's the one that is sovereign. And please don't hear me say this. Don't hear me say that all we need is faith. We don't need to go to doctors and hospitals and, and that sort of thing or take medicine. Uh, the Lord seems to honor medicine and medical personnel. Uh, we pray to the Lord. We, we look to the Lord. We have faith. 
And yet we use the instruments that he's given to us here as well. So don't hear me saying either one of those two things. I don't want anybody to hear me saying that God doesn't heal. He heals in answer to prayer. He's told us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He does want us to pray and he does heal, but he's the one who decides. And there's more here in this passage before us. And that is that Jesus healed people from all over that particular place. Verse 24, it says, News about Jesus spread all over Syria, and that would be north of Galilee even. We've, we've shown you maps before of Galilee. That's north of Galilee between Damascus and the Mediterranean Sea. And verse 25 says, Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which are the ten states, ten cities that were free states, a lot of Gentiles were there, also Jerusalem and Judea and the region across the Jordan, large crowds, it says, were following him. If I may direct your attention to the screen to look at the map that's up there, you will see that this is a map that highlights the Decapolis. The Decapolis are those 10 cities in the south here. That's Philadelphia, and you can go all the way to the north, 10 of them in red, all the way up here to Damascus. Now, those were the Decapolis, but we also heard that it was going to be north, and north there in Syria, that's Damascus, all the way to the sea. So all this area up here, we follow it down here because it mentions people coming from Jerusalem and Judea, so that's all the way down here and across the river. So we've got people coming from all over the place to see the Lord Jesus. And sometimes we think that maybe he's in a village or two somewhere along the line in this little place in Galilee, but he's coming from all over and that's something that's very, very significant. Now, when you think about Galilee, sometimes people think not a large place, 70 by 40 miles, 2,800 square miles. And people think, again, a few villages, a few people. But it's estimated that in that small area, there were 240 cities and villages of a population averaging about 15,000 people. Josephus, the historian, says there were 3 million people there. So we're not talking about a little ministry. We're talking about the Lord Jesus proving over and over and over again. Countless times as he goes into the synagogues, as he's teaching out in the open places, as he's meeting where the people are, the Lord Jesus' exposure was very, very significant. And two of the areas east of the Jordan and the ten cities or the Decapolis were mainly Gentiles. So the Lord Jesus is healing people from all over, Jews and Gentiles alike. He was not only the talk of the town, as the song goes, he was the talk of the entire region. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 1, we have more detail. We've got some significant events that were not told just to give us a little more of a flavor of the amazing Lord Jesus and what it is that he's accomplishing here. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. It says they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Of course, that was his custom. That was his habit. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And we're told many of those people who didn't get him in one town would follow after him into the next town, and then the people of that town would be added in numbers, and it kept growing and growing. So we find that the Lord Jesus continuing to amaze the people of that entire region. Now, one other major point that I'd like to make, and that is that Jesus' healing ministry was even more significant than the restoration of health that he gave. It was significant to the people who were healed. Can you imagine being blind, maybe blind your whole life, and now all of a sudden that you could see? That was significant. But there was something overarching to just the healings. There was something much more significant, and I'd like to share with you three of those things. First of all, Jesus' miracles proved that he was divine. They proved that he was God himself. John chapter 14, verse 11, here's what he said as he's imploring the people, a hostile crowd. After all that's going on, you would think that the people would be accepting of him. They'd never seen anything like it. Nobody could have ever seen anything like it. But he says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus' words and his works went together. And his miracles proved that he was God. That's what he was telling them. Listen to me. But if that's not enough, observe what's going on. You'll understand who I really am. You'll understand that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus' miracles also showed that he cares about people. You heard Nancy singing that this morning. Jesus cares about people. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, on a subsequent trip through this whole area, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It wasn't too long ago that I asked, how many of you remember the song, Does Jesus Care? I'll ask it again. How many of you remember, Does Jesus Care? And I won't sing it. We sang it, you remember, the last time in the middle of the message. 
does Jesus care in the chorus after describing the problems, the difficulties, the trials, the temptations of life? The chorus always echoed then afterwards. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. And so it wasn't just the healing of individuals. It wasn't just the Lord Jesus showing his power. It wasn't the Lord Jesus being professional in what he did and accomplishing his tasks because he was goal-oriented. It was the Lord Jesus looking out at people just like the people that are here and saying, you know what, I really care about them. I have compassion for them. And compassion does something about it. And he could do something about it, and he did. And not only that, Jesus' miracles proved he was divine. They proved that he cared about people. Jesus' miracles verified that he was the promised Messiah as well. If you turn with me once again to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Little crisis here for John the Baptist. He's in prison. And the Lord Jesus has not set up a kingdom yet, the kingdom that John said was coming. John needs a little bit of reassurance. And so in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Then Jesus replied this way, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Why did Jesus reply that way? Because that was what the promised Messiah was supposed to do. Isaiah told about that. Isaiah told about it in Scriptures like Isaiah chapter 29 in verses 18 and 19, for example. Those verses read this. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 35. This will be the final scripture we'll turn to. Isaiah chapter 35. one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's talking about the time when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. It talks about the millennial period, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth following the, the rapture and the tribulation. But as we look carefully at these verses and pick up at verse 5, this is describing not a scene here and now, but describing a future scene. But it says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then it goes on to talk about all of these other great things that will be happening at that particular time. John Walvert has put it this way. The kingdom blessings promised here, this is in Isaiah 35, due for fulfillment in the future kingdom here became the credentials of the king in his first coming. In other words, Jesus 
was there and able to perform all of these things. And he said to John the Baptist, tell John what you see that's going on. What you see going on is what's supposed to be going on in the future kingdom. And Messiah is going to be doing that. I'm doing it right now. I can do it now and I can do it then. Tell John the Baptist he'll feel a whole lot better about it when he understands that Messiah is here. Jesus' healing ministry, very significant. The miracles proved he was divine. They proved that he cares about people. They also verified that he was the promised Messiah. Jesus' works backed up his words. And yet we always come to the unbelievable reality, that which comes after that. Jesus' miracles were not enough for most of the crowd to follow him. Jesus' life, his teaching, his miracles didn't prove to be enough. The people wanted more. They rejected him. And when they rejected him, they rejected the kingdom at that particular time, but it will be coming. It was the ficklest of crowds. It came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Unimaginably, they did not. We've got it all on record right now, including the part about the resurrection, including the part about what's happening next. It would be even more unimaginable if somebody were to reject this person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen an amazing demonstration of his power and his love, and yet people still reject. My prayer, and I pray that all of you who know Christ will be praying along with me, that nobody will leave here this morning without knowing for certain that they've not only failed to reject the Lord Jesus Christ, but they've accepted him, that they've asked the Lord Jesus to be their Savior. He's an amazing Lord Jesus Christ, and we keep seeing it over and over again. And we've got a whole lot more knowledge of what went on than the people did then. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for giving us another opportunity. And maybe there's somebody in here who's just gotten another chance, maybe the last chance that that person will ever have to make a decision of their will to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. May they do that even right now. They've heard about the Lord Jesus before, no doubt. They have to have. But they've never realized that they're sinners and that they need a Savior and that the Lord Jesus is that Savior. That's why he came. He demonstrated the fact that he was divine, demonstrated the fact that he loves them, demonstrated the fact that he was the rightful Messiah, the one who was coming to make everything right. I pray that for everyone here, he will be able to make things right in us spiritually today, that by acknowledging our sin and need for a Savior and inviting Christ to be our Savior, that no one here will not be in heaven one day, and no one here, if the Lord Jesus comes back this week, will be missing. I pray that we might sense that urgency even as we share with our friends and families and that somebody sitting here this morning would sense that urgency as well. I thank you for that. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you please take out your hymnals. Let's open up to hymn number 457. I invite us all to stand. Let's sing together. I will sing of the mercies. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the With my mouth will I make known 
Heavenly Father, dismiss us to go out into this world to sing or shout or talk or whatever it is, whatever it takes to be able to share about the amazing Lord Jesus with others. Give us the courage we need. Give us the wherewithal to be able to share simply what Christ has done for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.